Bandwidth for the Weird Things Podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Welcome to the Weird Things Podcast. I'm Adrian Main, joined by Justin Robert Young. Hello. And Brian Brushwood. Greetings from sunny Austin, Texas. So, gentlemen, um, uh, we're not cool. <laughs> what? <laughs> Newsflash. Huh? Hey, you go. You take that back to the, the cool meter because I feel like we got a 11 reading. I'm, I'm way cool, bro. I'm going to have an 11 reading, but on a million scale. I'm going to tell you what <laughs> uh, cool I've got a couple of cool kids here. Well, not, not literally here. Um, I have a couple of cool kids. I'm I knew, I knew you went Hollywood, Andrew. Yes, <laughs> Dude, if I could hang with these kids, it'd be pretty rad. All right? All right. First one, bit of a troublemaker. His yeah. name is uh, Aiden. Aiden got in trouble in school. Can what did he guess? do? I'm going to tell you. Well, the first time is Aiden... Aiden got he's got in trouble three times. This is the third time and he got suspended. The first time, new school, he he the details are fuzzy, but he may have pointed out the color of another kid's skin, which could be you know a very sensitive sort of thing. I don't know the context or what happened there, but he's nine yeah. years old and nine year old nine year old kids say crazy things, and that's why they grow up to be podcasters. Mm-hmm. The, the the second time he got in trouble, one report said he brought in a book about pregnancy, which got him you know in in in. Uh, the crosshairs. Turns out the book was he brought in his favorite book, and it was called The Big Book of Knowledge. Right? Oh, okay. hold on. Wait. Uh, right. I, I, I could have sworn that I've seen The Big Book of Knowledge, right? This is just yeah. a kid's book full, filled with like stuff, like yeah, good pa- things to know. Apparently, a lot of, he liked it because it talked about the solar system. He thought this teacher would be impressed. But the teacher learned the popular children's encyclopedia had a section on pregnancy depicting a pregnant woman in an illustration. So that got him in trouble the second time. Wait a minute. Okay, hold on. First of all, uh, you realize like like uh, a pre-internet, and nobody knows what this was like because we have no records of what the world was no, like before the yeah. internet. But pre-internet, there may not have been a world bind. By the way, there's there's new research that says it just many. Yeah, yeah. Many studies show that it's inconclusive. Uh, yes. Well, let's just where say, are the fossils? Where are the fossils? We're trying. We're trying to, to teach the debate here on weird things, right? Like, did the internet? Did the world exist before the internet? I have hazy memories of the void time before the internet, where uh, when I was in seventh grade, I went to the library. And this is when we were in a private school in Norway, which is probably why we got away with it. Uh, we, were at, we were at the American school, uh, and, uh, and there's a book on health. Goddamn, thank s- goodness you're at the American school, Brian. They, Can well, I just say, they, it's bad they, enough you're in a foreign country. They, they, they later, they later please stand to uh, sing the anthem of uh, his school. Because I'm proud to be an American, getting schooled in old Norway. Uh, no, actually, they, the, the year I left, uh, just after I left, they rebranded as an international school because that was the strange irony is it was called Stavanger American School. But, like, there was, like, three other Americans in my grade. Everyone else was, like, from Brazil or Portugal or, or England or whatever. Um, but uh, at, at any rate, I remember going to the library and getting a health book and then turning to the sex page uh, the sex section, and it says, uh, uh, and what it said 
was I remember being disappointed because it said what it actually said was unlike other textbooks that don't give a uh, a, a frank analysis, uh, we're going to do the opposite. But but when I read it, I read Shots it as fired. By I read the way. It, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I read it as oh, they're not going to tell me how sex works, and instead, then I reread it. And I'm like oh, they are. And then I went, you know, there was pages of positions. And uh, chances of conception in different uh, different. This is how you do it in the sauna here. This is uh, (laughs) it was one of those like you tilted the book up because of the line drawing illustrations. (laughs) You didn't want to be visible to anywhere. I mean, it was uh, it was it was like the most important book of that year that I read. (laughs) Your life. This doesn't even (laughs) sound like it was that bad. This was just showed a pregnant lady's belly or something. Or this is one of those like it's a popular book, but this isn't what got the kid in serious trouble. Okay. Well all right so he's got two strikes though is what you're saying. Is he calls out another kid on his race and he brings in a book that a, a teacher deems offensive, the fascist. Yeah. Now the third strike third strike is uh he got sent home for threatening another boy. <laughs> well, I mean, threatening him with what? Like, I'm going to beat yeah, you up? Yeah, no, boys will be boys, and, you, and they, you know, they got to get the aggression out. Well, he brought a ring to school. Wait, please tell me it wasn't a rogue's ring. <laughs> no, no, not a rogue's ring. <laughs> for legal purposes. Yeah. Yeah, no. Please tell me that he did not bring a rogue's ring, which he bought very easily at scamstuff.com. Uh, which I possess one, by the way. No, he brought a ring to the school, and apparently he he just watched The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies, days before, and he placed the ring over another boy's head and said, um, I can make you disappear. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, so he wielded the one true ring? <laughs> he wielded the one true ring. And uh, okay, wait. Uh, all right, there's two things. Two things. First of all, like, like number one, did he actually believe this or was he playing? He was he was playing pretend, right? Uh, only Aiden knows. Okay, number two. But I would, I would, as his as his mock attorney, uh, I would say, regardless of what he believed, he's nine, and we're pretty sure he does not actually possess the power of the One Ring. No. But, also, I'm joining the legal team. This is the dream legal team of idiots who are defending a nine-year-old. I, I submit that this is not even the question we should be asking whether or not he, he believes in it. This is completely immaterial objection. All right. Uh, then answer me this. Did the school take that as a threat? When you said, I can make you disappear, they took that to mean like it was, it was saying that they could rub him out and, and, and his body would never be found? I don't quite know what the the play by play was, but here's that what I'm going to take a guess. The, the school's uh, not saying specifically what happened, and the, the father asked, you know, for it in writing. Here's here's what I'm going to guess: is that he is probably a very active kid, probably a bit of a handful, even if he, you know at his at his best behavior. I mean, I'm assigning a lot of behavioral characteristics to Aiden, despite the fact that we have no knowledge of him. But well, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to send Brian a link so we can we can see the face of this hardened criminal just because yeah. obviously the best way to judge guilt or innocence is, is, is on the look on their face. But, yeah, he, exactly. but he's probably very curious, and so like anything else, in the way that we probably you know brought you know uh, the, the the movies and stuff that we watched as kids to the playground and tried to reenact it, he did exactly that, uh, and instead this snitch, this bottom <laughs> snitch. 
decides to go run to the teacher and say that a poor Aiden's wielding the one true ring. That's ridiculous. That kid, he's the real criminal. Hobbit lives matter. All right, here we go. Let's take a look. <laughs> yes, all hobbits. Uh, let's see the uh, New York Daily News article. Oh, geez. Look at this. He's about to murder a baby. That's how bad this kid is. My precious. <laughs> and, and I just want to give some advice to everybody out there. Make sure that your family and friends. <laughs> okay. Make, there you go. Make sure your family and friends have a picture of what? Of you at least six or seven years younger. Uh, wait. Oh, no, that's always a good thing, right? Because you just want to give them a picture of you super. Like if I ever get arrested for murder, I want to just make sure that the only picture the media has is me at nine. Like, because yeah. that's how they'll judge you. They'll look at that and like, "There's no way he did this." It's like, oh my god, he's such an angel. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Brian, because hmm. you have a kid around this age. What? What, what is the age of the kid? Nine. Uh, nine. Nine. Okay. Yep. Yep. How shocked would you be if these three strikes, uh, you know, saying something about another kid's? race right mm-hmm. and let's and assume apparently not be- not not a negative way just saying yeah, just you know as a nine-year-old would say like oh you're yeah. this color you're that you know yeah. explaining you're trying to understand the world around bringing in a book that uh, is deemed objectionable by the teacher but it's clearly a, a ring book. that they say is the one true ring from the hobbit because they were inspired by it how surprised would you be if that sequence of events played out for your eldest daughter okay if i have permission to spread out the offenses between my uh, eldest and middle child, yeah. if I have permission to substitute Harry Potter for uh, Lord of the Rings lore, I could say for a fact that I have a trifecta and all three of those things have happened. <laughs> have already like, happened. Have already happened. Yeah. Guilty as charged, counselor. <laughs> that somebody <laughs> tried to roll in. One, one of the brushwood brood tried to roll into school and start throwing uh, a, a Varda Cadavra curses, uh, you know, on the schoolyard. Yeah, damn straight, man. Uh, and by the way, Antique Waited in the chat says, that if Disney's taught us anything, it's that evil people are ugly and beautiful people are good. Damn straight, except for the Hunchback of Notre Dame, which was made sure to be just the right amount of cute ugly. And then remember Frozen, <laughs> the one of the villains in Frozen. Uh, oh, was was beautiful? Oh, yep, yep, yep. But that was a twist. That's also been in uh, Snow White, too. There have been uh, often, there's been a few. In I Cruella's mean, Ga- uh, you know, Gaston, he's a real looker. Yeah, that no, guy. that's true. That's true. I mean, have you seen that one? The dude who plays Gaston at the new Disney World uh, attraction, where, where they end up doing a, a push-up challenge. Well, I mean, this is this is, goes throughout all the other characters, but like there are all there are all like little things that you can do. Like if you ever see a toys uh, like from Toy Story walking around, you can say Andy's coming, and they drop to the ground. Uh, there's like these little like hacks and stuff that the people who go there a lot understand. But the Gaston they have uh, has apparently he's gained internet fame. Because people keep challenging him to like manly feats of strength. Oh, that's because awesome. he is the manliest man uh, there is, and he just keeps wrecking people. <laughs> and so, some dude like, like challenged him to a push-up contest, and it just ends with the other guy like running out of gas and Gaston going from two-handed to one-handed push-ups, just like looking at him and just mocking him. It it's actually amazing. amazing. Uh, the, uh, the 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 reverse of that, and that's one of the cool things that's very magical magical about the Disney experience. Uh, but there was a guy I knew who uh, worked out some shtick with his six-year-old son to where uh, they would take. 
photos, you know, and of course that's what a big part of Disney is. And this is before videos were so pervasive, but he would take photos and they cuddle, cuddle up together, like cozy up. All right, ready? We're going to on three. He would go one, two, three. And then on three on cue, his six year old son would, would whip up his fist and show his middle finger. Uh, so everybody is, is just has these awesome uh, crap eating grins. They're all super happy Disney in the background. And as, and because it's a surprise to all of them, uh, this kid whipping out the middle finger, all that's preserved is this photo of a kid giving a middle finger and all of these Disney characters grinning ear to ear. <laughs> I don't recommend that. Oh, kids. So, and, and, and Aiden's the closing defense, too, is like Aiden may have just been offering to make the kid invisible, too, and not disappear. So, uh, anyhow, we'll, we'll see where this develops. I predict Aiden will probably do really cool things later on in life. Yeah, dude. I hope that's the case. Well, I mean, but that's the frustrating thing that, that rallies people or the Internet to this kid's cause, right? Because mm-hmm. so many people on the Internet who are creative – see themselves in something like this. Like, I, I don't think it's, it's a coincidence that, you know, we can go to Brian who has, you know, kids in that age that like we, like, you know, anybody who's been around them understands them to be very creative, outgoing kids. This is de rigueur. Like, this is something that like happens and we can all, you know, retell elements of our own childhood that if, you know, the, the big villain in this is the stick in the mud teacher. And the school yeah. that is allowing it to be a thing. Uh, yeah. Um, th- there are certain um, – as, as you guys know, we actually um, homeschool uh, Penny now. And um, I don't know what I could say in a public forum. But, uh, but it's like there are, there are certain people who feel things so strongly. They, they make really good hypnosis subjects. They're very much in the moment. They, they, add, you know, they, they, they tend to get louder than they are. They give reactions. They sort of – Tell me more, Brian. <laughs> exactly, right? They, uh, they, they tend to have uh, targets painted on their forehead to bullies because they give the exact kind of response that a bully would want, right? And, they're, and oftentimes they're the ones who get in trouble for it. Uh, I can totally see – this being the kind of thing where, you know, you just got one of those kids and, and it's like, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a bell curve. No matter what classroom you're in, uh, teacher figures there's got to be the worst 10% that are troublemakers. And even if all the kids are great, then, you know, well, we got we to roll our eyes at 10% of them. So I guess it's this 10%. That's the bottom, the bottom 10% uh, as far as behavioral infractions. You know, they're not very good at being sly about their sneakiness or whatever. I don't know. You get, and you get teachers who, who – some teachers when they meet that bright, challenging kid are inspired. And that's the kid they look for that they can kind of help kind of guide and say, okay – if this, if I can impart some sort of help on this, could it be great? Other people meet that bright, challenging kid, and they want to snuff it out because that's not what they signed up for. They wanted, you know, thirty robots. Yeah, I know. They're not just keeping tender care of all the drones that are being very quiet and orderly, so they don't, you know, bother your hangover, public school teacher, <laughs> like. Like oh no let's let's really take it out on the one slice of people that in my are actually graduating class. I look at the kids that were the, the super super hard achievers, you know, who are str- wanting to be four straight valedictorians, salutatorians, whatever. And I look at that, look at them, the percentage of them that then hit college and then just dropped off, you know, the radar because 
they were just trying to prove other people, trying to like the ones that are pleasing the teachers are pleasing everybody except for themselves. And once it came to be doing their own thing, they floundered. You know, they just couldn't find it. Like, oh, maybe they wanted, I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to go get a medical degree. None of them wanted to be those things. But, yeah. you know, it was just, it was just interesting. These were the ones the teachers liked because they suck up to the most, but they were the ones that just were kind of the most unfulfilled. Well, it's funny because in so many situations, you, you, you hear them say, oh, we teach discipline here, like in a martial arts academy or whatever. But then you figure out really fast that they don't teach discipline. They expect discipline. And if mm-hmm. you don't have discipline, you don't, you don't do well. You know, it's like, you know, people, places that teach discipline are places that are, you know, slow and tedious and plodding and patient and whatever. Can I, I'll give you a great follow up on that using martial arts. So I was in, we talked about this on a, after things before I did, I did judo for several years years i had a great judo coach mike cobb who was uh one of the highest ranking senseis in judo in america like double white belt all this great club um we never called him sensei we called him mike yeah and we were extremely disciplined but we could we were on a first name base with him because our level of respect for him was so ridiculously high anybody could put on a black belt and call themselves a sensei there was only one mike right right you know, I would watch, you know, Mike would, my brother would show up, my brother, FBI agent, SWAT team, all this stuff. And Mike would wrap my brother into a pretzel and get my brother to shout out as loud as he could in the gymnasium so you could hear it clear across. Mike is a sweetheart of a person and an all around nice guy, <laughs> you know, and before Mike would let him go, like Mike, Mike would tell corny jokes, like Mike tells the funniest jokes. <laughs> and so and finally Mike would release them. But it was it was like you said, is that is that we didn't spend a lot of time being told how to be respectful or we just you just you saw it and you fell in line. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you can't, uh, you know, I don't know, you, you, you can't demand it. You, you can wear all the trappings, but but mm-hmm. respect is something that you, that you have to earn. All right, gentlemen, moving on to earning respect. Well, first, let's talk about. Hey, by, by the way, are there any? Uh, has anybody come up with like a paranormal slant to the fact that it's really cold and there's a blizzard striking all over the U.S. or something? Well, it, I mean, besides Mercury's in retrograde. Well, <laughs> well yeah. Brian, maybe it's because not enough people have gone to Patreon.com/slash Weird Things. Wait, Patreon.com. Oh, jeez. Well, then, well, what do you expect? You sheeple. You know, if you want to keep the winter wisps at bay, then you need to go to weird things or patreon.com slash weird things. Yeah, you know what? We've played coy about this before. I think we can officially announce that uh, we'll we'll take responsibility for the blizzards hitting all across America right now. It's America held hostage. Yeah. Uh, we're two-thirds of, a way, of our way to a goal to $1,000 an episode. Uh, and we already hired a producer, by the way. Yeah. No, we're we're preemptively – we're preemptively striking with quality content live and exactly. on time. And by the way, we're also striking with crippling blizzards that are uh, <laughs> keeping uh, the, the travelers of the world hostage. Uh, you know, it's, it's a real in-your-face situation, folks. Give us money and we'll, and we'll relinquish our icy grip on the country. <laughs> Except here, I had my air conditioner on before I uh, started this and just shut it off. No, true story. So I was uh, up at 3.45 in the morning, uh, California time, to get on a flight, 6 a.m. Me too. To get I was to, watching the time machine. Uh, oh, look at that. I was trying to get to uh, Charlotte, and my partner for the Go Game, we like, we're going to effectively race from SFO to Charlotte, with it, her connecting through Chicago, me through Houston, and she had the crappiest hand that you can be dealt 
in in business traveling, which is arriving to the airport at four thirty in the morning, five o'clock, and having them say, "Whoopsie doodle, uh, your flight has been canceled." Oh, so dude. you can't just sleep in. You need to sit at the airport for the next three hours. That's the worst, and it's like uh, I, I, you know, there have been times where I've been out on the road and either a hurricane was coming or a storm was coming, and I, I, you know, and of course when you got money on the line, when you got a gig to do, you get real creative. And I remember at one point, um, you know, just read, just reading what was happening, making the mental gamble that this stuff was going to hit sometime in the next two or three hours, and I just walked up and I said, "This stuff is coming. Uh, what do you have that just goes west?" I just need anything that goes west of here. And then uh, like Nashville, I'm like, close enough. Let's go. And then it's like, we'll deal with the next leg when we get there. Inch by inch. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to move up the cool meter. And maybe maybe Aiden could be this cool. All right. Uh, Wait, cooler than Aiden? I'm not saying cooler than Aiden. I'm saying in the circumstances, Aiden might be this cool. All right, all right. All it's right, all go. circumstantial, all circumstantial. So uh, two, two, two teenagers, one named uh, Jay, one named Matt, were out uh, swimming around, and a shark. Oh, jeez. A what a now? Sh- a shark. They're, they're in Western Australia, okay. and a shark all of a sudden tore into Jay. Oh my God! So like, actually attacks them. Tax, tax J, tax J, right? Then turns to Matt. What does Matt do next? Uh, he he defecates immediately and hopes that the water is so poopy that the that the shark is like, ooh, gross. Man, and leaves. that is some American way to react to stuff. <laughs> These guys are no, but think not, about it. They, they're not just Australian. No, no, no. They're but, Western Australian. Why, why, walk, why land a Russell Crowe and Mel Gibson, Brian? Dude, I, no, 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 no. See that shark? I don't care what shark you are. You're like, hey, bro, I breathe this, and I don't need you doing that in my air water. I mean, I'm not saying that you have a bad plan. <laughs> Defecating so I much am. into the water that it affects the shark's behavior is, is, although untested, an interesting theory. All I'm saying is this. These two kids, if you look at a population map of Australia, there is 90% of their population on the East Coast, literally nothing, and then like 18 people on the West Coast of Australia. It's yeah. like... Their fifth most popular, uh, populous city. I, I, I'm sure I'm getting all of this wrong. But I know that there's, it is highly weighted on the East Coast. These guys are rough and tumble tough. I bet you that this dude was like, like, hey, I'm going to punch you, shock, and then punched him right in the dude, face. Do we know how old these, these gentlemen are? Uh, like 17. Okay, so, I mean – uh, by this it's point, that or he held up the one true ring and made the shark disappear. <laughs> I'm going to imagine that they, if they're 17, I'm going to imagine that they just made a game called Whip Crack, where they pick up a, a, a <laughs> deadly poisonous snake and they whip it around their head and then they whip it and then they break its neck at the end. And then sadly, they... Jay got killed in the shark attack. Oh well, thanks for leading us down the hilarious path. <laughs> All right. That- survived okay what did he do how much do you want to know so far uh i mean first of all that's brutal 17 year old watch another 17 year old just get eaten by a shark do we know how big a shark it is it's not like a great white is it i think it's a white tip a white pointer um so so something about what 12 12 feet long or so 
Probably God. not an incompetent enough to enough to kill. They've had uh, yeah. So all right. So so uh, I mean the the most obvious thing is either an eye gouge or a, or a nose punch. We, we hear that right that you're supposed to punch him in the nose. He had a he had a spear gun. Oh my God! Did he just did he just just shoot it? Did he just like go Captain Nemo and like just <laughs> spear gun this dude? Like, uh, I, 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 were, were they in a boat? They were just out swimming around. Out swimming, out swimming. They're out swimming, and he had a spear gun. Come on, mate, They're let's just go Brian. swim with my spear gun. It's called spear fishing, Brian. Okay, all right. Well, I mean, is it a spear gun or a, or just a, a, a spear? Because they've got the the if if you're spear fishing, oftentimes what you'll have is you'll have a you'll have a spear with a pointed tip at the end, and you'll have like a band of elastic, and you 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 jab it, you you stretch it down, and then you kind of let go, and it then it springs forward. Brian? Yeah? Spear gun. Okay, so, man, all right. Um, so where did he so shoot So they're, they're out there spear fishing? Mm-hmm. Like, they're out there trying to catch fish with a spear gun? Yes. Okay. Uh, so the kid gets, the first kid A gets attacked, attacked by the shark. All right. Kid B has Wait, the spear gun? Brian and Justin, who has the spear gun? Uh, I have the spear gun. All right, Justin has a spear gun. Brian just got attacked. Devoured, ah! savagely. Shark turns towards you, Justin. Yeah. What do you do? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna grip the spear gun, aim it right toward the shark, and then defecate so much that I hope <laughs> that it, it deters the shark from eating me. Well, I mean, where do you aim? Do you go for a headshot, or you just? I would imagine like I'd be just happy to hit it in the body, and maybe it'll swim away. Man, I'm I I do not know exactly how what my fortitude is going to be. I don't think I'm going to be able to be a steely eyed killer after I watched my friend get murdered by this savage killing machine, uh, and 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 put it right in his eyeball or anything. Like I think I'm I'm just going to take my best approximation and and. Pull the pull the trigger and hope for the best. And so what well, happens? You're Matt Puella. You take that spear gun, you shove it down the shark's throat, past the gnarly teeth, into its mouth, and fire. Oh my god! Oh my god! Quote: The shark turned and came for me. I pushed the spear gun down its throat and fired the gun. Oh, that guy's getting laid for the rest of his life. I don't uh-huh. care if he's married for forty years and and has and has five kids and dis, and hasn't and, and, and is uh, four hundred pounds overweight. He was like, "Did I tell you about the time? Do you remember the time that I shoved a spear gun down a killer shark's throat and fired? Holy cow, dude! This is a, this is an amazing story. I feel like I'm I'm casting James Franco and Channing Tatum." And they're going to learn Australian accents. Okay. And- so, man, I, I really want to know internally. I mean, I assume that's better, right? I assume that's the most effective way to tear stuff Why well, didn't the shark swam off, apparently? So they're, they're going to try to find a shark. And they have a pretty good idea how they'll know the shark when they see it. Yeah. Because it. it's got a fun new hip body piercing. Yeah. <laughs> All the <other> sharks <laughs> are really excited. <laughs> it's got a perforated liver. Oh, my God. God, that's amazing. So this is a lesson to everybody. Never, ever, ever leave your house. No, never go to Australia under any circumstances. Western Australia. I mean, like, again, there's like nine people there and eight of them are sharks with mustaches on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, gentlemen, do we have time for one more? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right. um, We're stupid. Uh, Granted. So we're not popular. 
Uh, we make fun of dead Australian kids uh, without knowing the, the, the story. Accidentally. And we're stupid. We're stupid. I feel like the third one could explain the other two, by the way. We, we're just going backwards. It's one of those things where it's like the truth was laying in front of you the entire time. And then like a lightning bolt, you realize that, that we were – it turns out they were dumb the entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you why, all right? So here we are. We're talking about our Patreon. Like, hey, help us do weird things. Contribute yeah. to our Patreon. Oh, right? Suckers. Lying about oh. the weather. Like we control it with spells. That's a shame. We should be ashamed of ourselves. Well, I'm saying we're undervaluing ourselves, guys. We should under we should value ourselves more. We're brilliant. Better. <laughs> Better. Um, I'm telling you, like like the perfect business plan is right in front of me, right here. Uh, all we, right. Need do, we need to do is an IPO. Uh, oh, initial public offering. Like, uh, but but the dot com bubble's already burst. Ain't nobody gonna believe in us. The international mm-hmm. pancake office. I'm into it. <laughs> Brian, there's 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 companies being born all the time. Capital has to move. Money must flow. No IPO. There's actually been uh, been a, a big run of good IPOs lately. Like it, it's yeah. been it's been a pretty good tech IPO season recently. Yeah, yeah, Brian, in your face. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't realize I was tuned into Mad Money. You're gonna play like a bull sound effect now. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> so, uh, what we need to do is I, I found there's a uh, an IPO that just announced and uh, something Project Investments, and I aim to raise three million dollars by doing selling stock and initial public offering. They plan to make money through DVD sales um, and some other oh, things, wow. and it's a business. And I think it's it's along along our lines, a lot along our lines. I think that we have. We could do this. I think we're qualified to do this. Uh, well, well, I say we follow what – I mean, what, uh, sure, what, selling DVDs, we could do that. Uh, uh, making money. Well, hold on, Brian. Mm. I feel like we need to do a little bit more due diligence into this business plan. Last I, mean, I, I checked, I had a gigantic pile of DVDs that I literally have no idea what to do with because I don't have a DVD player. I, 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 I'm already ready to sign. I mean, it sounds like they, they've got the business plan down. He said the words business plan and IPO. I'm, I'm in. Thank you, Brian. I'm, I'm committing. Thank you, Brian. I, you know, I don't know, guy. I just don't know if this is what people want to buy. I already well, signed Andrew, it. Here's the why plan. don't you explain what they're selling on these DVDs? So... Let me give you some background. Uh, by the way, um, full disclosure: I am a, a, a an investor in whatever business that cool. uh, the uh, SEC is like. You know, it's like you know we're we're as long as the accounting rules are followed, this is legitimate. Uh, President of Chapman Hill Advisors told the Wall Street. This is mentioned in the Wall Street Journal too. You know, like the the other the paper of record, and um, <laughs> the advisor said something 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 something. Then go for it. So, uh, okay, listen, I mean, this then, all sounds great. An advisor said, go for it, Justin. Look, I'm already on the magic money train. I'm already sw- I've already mortgaged my house to cash out all that dead equity sitting there. That money ain't making no, no money for me right now. I got an arcade to buy. I, I'm going to be so rich on this thing. Yeah, come on, sign up. Here's the yeah. pen. I just need to know uh, what... We're actually do. I mean, like this doesn't sound like a. a, a, a That's the sound of the train leaving the station, Justin. 
I don't know, though. It sounds like a, a train built on, on, on rickety parts. And There's uncertainty, sure, okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Professor Killjoy. I didn't know that you hated money so much. Why don't you go back to your commune? I mean, take right, all your clothes. Right. Uh, I just need a little bit more information, Andrew. I just need a little bit more and, about the business. And Okay, that's not. we don't want to be that either. Okay, can't be cylindrical. Okay, we, can't, we don't want to be cylindrical either. Okay, um, my point is, Justin, and there's a certain element of risk involved. And sometimes you have to look at the potential payoff. Okay. Yeah. And, and payoff the, the payoff is going to be in DVD sales? That's part of it. It's like, it's just, that's like, it's like part of what they're doing. And there's like a bigger game thing, a bigger thing they're after. That if they accomplish that, then I mean, yeah, it could be, it could be really big. See, uh, I'm sorry. Look, Justin, I mean, I don't know. No, I, just, but- I, 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 let, let me just put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. A television personality just told you it could be big. This is Andrew Maine from A and E's fantastic show. Don't <laughs> trust Andrew Maine. I think we can trust this guy. All right, he's famous. I mean, I don't know. You're a television personality, and all you do is teach people how to screw with other people. Like, I feel like this is the worst possible way for someone to be greeted with an investment opportunity. Justin, uh, I just got this study in. It turns out that two out of two television personalities agree (laughs) that you should take this pen and sign for this thing and do the IPO. (laughs) All right. I'm, I'm signing. I trust you guys. I'm signing. Congratulations. I'm glad to have you aboard BPI. Uh, uh, British Petroleum International? That's huge. Oh, my God. I didn't know big, they had an big, IPO yet. That, Listen, big, we're, we're into a natural resource, too, gentlemen. <laughs> is it Bigfoot Porn International? Um, you got the first part right. <laughs> Bigfoot Project Investments. Oh, my gosh. From uh, Tom Piscardi, the guy that thought a rubber gorilla suit was a Bigfoot carcass, apparently. Uh, he's a self-proclaimed leading expert on Bigfoot. He's founded a firm called Bigfoot Project Investments and wants to raise $3 million by selling stock in an IPO. The company plans to make money through DVD sales, but its filings with regulators say it will also budget more than 100000 a year to capture the creature known as Bigfoot. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Um, so, you know, there have been other Bigfoot-related businesses, and uh, there you go. Like, Okay, all right. Um uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, can, I, to- can I tell you something that's funny? Like in every in every company, like the port, they have to have forward looking. They have to state what their risks are. What are the potential risks? Like, oh, we have a risk of litigation. This market could collapse. Da 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 da. They have to be like, well, what's our risk? Bigfoot may not exist. <laughs> or the remote chance that Bigfoot does not exist. But, but you see, what's funny is that's that is the risk, right? Like, or I'm sorry, like, like that's not a risk. Like, like, like the no, risk yeah, is that, that he may that, exist. That, that's that's a possible danger that they like they're selling the hunt for Bigfoot. Correct. I, 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 let me tell you what. Unless unless Jeff Bezos is running this, I think he can only get by so far before people want to see Bigfoot. I don't know because you got a lot of people like let's say uh, it was to play. Let's say we were doing the exact same company and we believe that you can play the perfect game of chess. And, uh, uh, you know, we we, we ill define what that is. But we got as long as we have hundreds of thousands of people who are like really into chess and like really want to know if, you know, if it's possible to make the perfect game. And then they're all playing chess and they're all buying subscriptions. I mean, that's how long do they buy subscriptions for, though? 
Uh, well, judging from history, uh, forever. I mean, it's like as long as the Bigfoot legend's been around, people have been subscribing well, to his and how, how long? How long has how? that been? Like, like the popular legend has been around since what? The 50s, 60s maybe at its I, earliest? 70s when it blew up into popular culture? I would say, though, that if we go to – if we try to go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon and look for the big, huge Bigfoot section of books – it's not a thriving industry. Every now and then, yeah, you get you get a documentary or you get something that comes out there that does, but it's yeah. not it's not a it's not currently a big source of revenue. Well, Certainly not. But no. in fact, it's odd that they need to raise three million dollars to do it because I feel like anybody can do it for about you know two thousand dollars in startup. I class. have a Craigslist ad searching for Bigfoot. So. Uh, well, I guess here's my point. Here's what they do. They're not really selling capturing or finding Bigfoot. That's one of the one of many goals. Uh, what they're what they're what they're doing is they're funding expeditions and essentially camping trips. You know, get out and and get scared and all that stuff. And as long as there's a bunch of people who are into that, it's like MUFON. Uh, like like uh, uh, the Mutual UFO Network has been around since the what 50s, 60s or whatever. If they went public and filed an IPO, it's clear. That now, granted, UFOs are you know five times more popular than Bigfoot is uh, by the percentages of belief or whatever. But it's like they could start and and essentially you know have have their their magazine subscription, have their clubhouse. Everyone like yeah, we all like Bigfoot, don't we? And then and then after a while, they're like, you know, who else we like? Uh, Chupacabra or whatever. Like I don't know. I mean, how different would this I think be? the question is though? What do you like if you are raising three million dollars? Like that effectively makes you the biggest player in Bigfoot hunt and recovery, right? Like at some point you need to show something beyond what everybody has been able to do for $500 in a copy machine. I mean, once you burn through your capital, uh, you know, are you assuming they'll have other lines, other forms of income coming in? Oh yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. They're going to sell, they're going to sell spots on trips and uh they're essentially going to be like a like this could thrive and survive as an adventure uh vacation sales uh thing that they do all right, right. hold on this is why you're not my investment advisor Uh oh <laughs> let me let me let me put this like bug in your guys's ear though what if we took this idea of like remember like andrew's horror camp that he went to yeah yeah where that and that was like a very active like one night immersive situation what if we did more of like a week in the wilderness but it's like it's for like you this is this is immersive theater right and like you understand that kind of going in but that's like it's like on the website is the last time you see it you show up and there's the grizzled old you know (laughs) uh, a crypto vet you know and we just understand that like there is some fault line where a vent is emitting whatever that these creatures uh, flock to. And like each night there is like a hunt and your own like semi, if you squint hard. Dude, you I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what man, you, you sign a waiver before you go in and in the fine print, it says we also may uh, uh, under the direction of a physician make certain additives to the food and drink you consume on premises. So it's like you just said you just gotta goose Why it. does it always gotta go to dosing with you? <laughs> it always just have to go to dosing. I'm just saying I'm like saying we bring people out, we shake a few leaves, everybody gets their lizard brains all worked into a frenzy because I, there's the I grizzled see old Brian guy pitching like uh, a fantasy book to his publishers. Now here's my idea. <laughs> I wrote a great book. It's a good book, but here's what I want people to do. 
First page, they lick the page. <laughs> <laughs> we use a hey, special By the way, that tea in front of you looks really right good. There. You should really take yes. another sip. <laughs> I think that there are, there are some adventures we'd love to bring people on, really cool stuff that could be out there that we could go find or go investigate and go look at. I'm all for that. I would love to do that. There are some mysterious creatures, places, locations. I once jokingly said, oh, we're going to go try to find a, you know, I was at, at a Skeptics Club meeting. We're going to go try to find an entrance to, you know, the Hollow Earth. And everybody's like, oh, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'm like, guys, it's not real. Like, does it matter? We want to go. Yes. Well, look, and, 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 and that's the way we've been. Uh, by the, oh, by the way, did you guys get the tweet from the guy who blames us? For uh, for his new uh, rash, yeah, yeah, for for his new open ROV that he's building. Yes, that's awesome. Oh yes, definitely. Uh, Which is great. I mean, because the idea, you know, of course, uh, the 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 canonical phrase of weird things is Bigfoot isn't real. He's awesome, and and, and you know that's what uh, all of this stuff is is to us. Is like you know the mythology's rad, the the interest is rad, and you know we all sincerely hope it exists. Yeah, gentlemen, time to do picks. Hey, man, I'll go first because uh, yours, mine was suggested by you and I just finished it. Uh, Player of Games is a, a culture novel, which uh, I didn't even know. There's this whole franchise uh, about this egalitarian post-singularity society where apparently food and drink and clothing and, you know, uh, apparently humans have won so hard against the galaxy that all they do is play games and change genders uh, just because, like, they're they're so bored and living forever. It's a lot like Hollywood. It- <laughs> That's that's the real culture. It's called the Bruce Jenner uh, documentary. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, topical. I like it. Uh, I like. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I enjoyed it. It was it was shorter than I wanted it to be. But but how many culture novels are there? And and who is this by again? Ian Banks. Ian Banks, who unfortunately uh, passed away not too long ago. Uh, fantastic writer. Uh, he has written a number of books in the culture series. Let me pull this up. Um, He's also written a number in the culture series. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, nine books in the culture series. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'll tell you what. I really enjoyed this one. I thought the uh, the audiobook reader did a really good job. Um, there was kind of a uh, throughout the entire thing. The narrator um, is coy about who it is. Uh, you know whose perspective this story is being told yeah. from. And there was a neat thing that happened in the audiobook. I'm sure you read the, the text version, but in the audiobook. I actually did both. Oh, you did? Great. So so that moment in the audiobook where where at the end is like, "Oh, by the way, you're probably wondering who I am." You know, there's the the voice, you know, morphs from a traditional narration voice into the character voice of the person who who was was telling the story, which I thought was a nice touch in the audiobook. What's uh, it called? Yeah. Oh, Player go ahead. of Games? Uh Player of Games. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I liked it a lot. And uh um I don't know. I have a one of the uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to let you know that the main character is a player of games, renowned for his game-playing ability, and that uh, games are important in, in this society. But they find another society, a an alien society, that values one specific game so much that that's how they elect their emperor. And uh, and it, it, it their entire culture from the day they're born is all about playing like this unimaginably complex game that takes up like imagine like a, the way I pictured it was like a basketball court sized arena filled with uh, uh, pawns as you know the small as the tip of your pinky and it's like all just moving a bazillion different things but but that's the one thing about it is there they they give details about the game but they avoid the pitfall of pulling a Quidditch. Where it's like they don't give you enough details, 
Like, that's the problem with Quidditch, is Quidditch, they actually described a game in enough detail that you could look at it and say, those are the dumbest rules in the planet, and that is, that is no way this would be uh, remotely... Yeah, just have everybody find the snitch. Yeah, exactly. Find the why snitch. Are we even, why are we trying to even screw around with this stupid waffler? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Just let them have all the, the, the things they want. So, at any rate, uh, they avoid the details of the game, but instead go into... Uh, you know, the mind of the game player talking about the feints and counter feints and uh, uh, trying to wrap his mind around the psychology of the people playing. Um, uh, yeah, no, it was good. I liked it. It's it's one of my favorite science fiction books because it, it's for me, it takes some themes, which I think are fascinating, which is like uh, one of the amazing inventions of the Chinese was the idea of the civil servant exam. Instead of just rampant nepotism, putting anybody you want into a position of power. The Chinese developed the idea. Well, first you got to pass a test before we give your 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 gut, your cousin Louis this job. You got to make sure he can actually read and write and do that. Then you take, let's say, India, where they'd have a history of giving people appointments entirely based upon caste, family, and astrology. And then you invoke games and things like that. And I just love the comp. You know, love that idea. Now the culture novels. Mostly what's interesting about Ian e. Banks stories is they take place in the past where there's this massive galactic galaxy spanning civilization that humans are a part of, but it actually takes place in our prehistory where our you know a couple thousand years before, I think some of them are contemporary, but basically there are some humans got pulled into this massive culture, but it's like this thing that's going on right now. Oh, interesting. So it takes place like in our current time and we're just a splinter group that was, you know, unfortunate enough to be trapped we're on just this dumb rock. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah, I mean, like, like the to my understanding is that like there uh, most of the novels take place uh, uh, prior to us, then some are contemporaneous. Um, uh, well, regardless, per our contractual obligation with uh, the devil, uh, we have to mention SpaceX <laughs> every single episode, and the whole reason this book showed up on my radar was because Andrew uncovered an awesome factoid about the drone ships. That the uh, that the multi stage rockets are trying to land on in the ocean. You want to share that, Andrew? Yeah, I'm just looking up the whole timeline. The first novel in the series, pardon <laughs> me, took place in uh, 1331 AD. The rest are taking place after our current time frame. So my apologies. Got it. And what's uh, the some space parts of it take place in 1977. So the uh, uh, one of the one of the things is that there's so many artificially intelligent robots and and artificially intelligent ships, and they uh, like you know at some point you stop naming them after women and you just give them all these bizarre ass names. Like there's this one, uh, you know, it's like soon you'll dock with the ship, uh, uh, read the manual, and uh, then be transported to the to, to the vessel. Kiss my ass, and uh, like those are actual names from 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 the book. Uh, or, or what was that? And then then you'll you'll spend most of the journey on the limiting factor. Blah 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 blah. And uh, and then Andrew said that it turns out that Elon Musk refers to he's named the drone vessels. One of them's named Read the Manual. What was the other one? Uh, I I love you. Or let me see. Let me pull up the name. Name. So basically, uh. ships kind of becomes in the way that like boats are now, where you just give it like you know some quirky, silly, stupid name. Right, right. But, but like but, often that's like the, these are these are uh, self aware, so they name themselves. One is the East Coast one is called I think uh, read the instructions, and then just read the instructions is the one. The, East, the West Coast one is called Of course I still love you. 
Uh, that's amazing. So, like, these are specific references that Elon Musk is making to this exact book in which both of those uh, ships uh, make a brief appearance in there. So there's enough ships mentioned in the book that he could go through, like, four or five more drone boats yeah. before uh, before he has to go somewhere else. Yeah, I sent, uh, I sent, I sent you guys uh, one of my favorite Elon Musk texts of all time. Let me see if I can pull this one up. And it was it was I found those when he was referring to what that was called. Uh, okay, so we we talked about like how they're going to be doing a launch again, and I found a wonderful website by the way, which is called SpaceX Stats. And what it does is it shows you the launch manifest as far as like they do, you know, whatever they can find as far as data on when they're going to be doing the next launches. So it's not an official one, so you can see upcoming missions. And February 9th, uh, I think they're going to try another attempt to land the the Falcon rocket. But now, Musk had said, next rocket landing on drone ship in two to three weeks with way more hydraulic fluid. That was a problem they had before. At least it should explode for a different reason. <laughs> well, we, we talked about this because, you know, uh, you and I grew up in a time, Andrew, where it's like, you know, for a national official to glibly say something like that to the press would have been a scandal, right? But instead, we live in this warts and all society where the mere fact that he acknowledges like, look, we're still <clears> experimenting. <throat> we're still trying to figure out uh, how this well, all works well, is, is going to actually increase the value, you know, could increase the value of the stock. Two things are different. A – they have had a great track record of success and B it's that dude's money. You yeah. know, like if, if a government official says like, I don't know, man, maybe it'll blow up. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're like, like what? That's not how you should be treating our money. Our money should be treated with reverence. But if it's like, you know, crazy mad scientist, uh, bond villain, Elon Musk, like, Hey, I don't know. Like I'm going to name my boats, crazy things. And like, maybe it'll blow up. Whatevs. Uh, and we're like, Oh, you crazy kook. Real quick to take you through the SpaceX stats. It says that the next launch is uh, called discover. It's in seven days, 35 minutes, 26 seconds. SpaceX has had 19 launches, six dragon missions, 13 launches from SLC four, 40 in Florida, uh, Merlin 1D in-flight operating time. Uh, is that, is that the, the, mid, the, the midsection or, or the, the, the base section? Or uh, it, Here, it says here, Merlin 1D is the fourth gen- iteration of SpaceX's Merlin engine family using a mixture. Holy crap. So of yeah, all the, the, the first and second stage, I believe, are both Merlin engines. Yeah, so it, it's been in orbit for three hours. No, 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 no. The one it, it has been, the it has fire, been it's been firing. Like the, the actual time the engines have been running. Like, oh, okay, the gotcha, that, gotcha, gotcha. Operating the Merlin engines, sorry, which sorry, is, sorry, the, you know, like, they're nine of them at the base in the octoweb, which is what sends that thing up. That's the total amount of time that those things have been firing from launch to shutting them off as uh, taking it into space. Zero current astronauts, 13 satellites launched. Uh, Elon Musk's bet expires in 3,986 days. Uh, Michael S. Malone revealed while interviewing Elon Musk, the two had a bet that SpaceX would put a man on Mars by 2020 or 2025. Musk has continued to reiterate this rough time frame since. No pressure, Elon. This is a great site. Yeah. So it's SpaceXStats.com. That's right. right. Uh, is that your pick or do you have another pick, Andrew? Um, my pick is uh – yeah, uh, my pick is I just finished. I did my entire Bond marathon. I watched every single Bond movie from Doctor No to Skyfall, and took a little side jag to watch even Never Say Never Again, which I think is underrated. If you watched some of those Roger Moore movies, you realize wow, Never Say Never Again was actually much better than 
what was going on in that period. And um, are, are you not a fan of the Roger Moore period? Some, I mean, I, I love Roger Moore. I love Roger Moore, but but it, it, it took Bond into a place that was too much self parody, and it, and it wasn't as interesting as it could have been. And and you know, there were a couple, but there were some good Bond movies to be sure. And you could see them where they tried to dial it back with like For Your Eyes Only and how they wanted to try to pull it back in, but then it kind of got crazy. And anyhow, my point is, is uh, uh, I watching watching all of those and then getting to Skyfall and you know the Daniel Craig era. And and I loved I loved 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 Casino Royale. I thought it was a great back to what made Bond interesting, what was compelling. Quantum of Solace. I was a little bit harder on Quantum of Solace. I think the problem was is like it, it still had that, that weird supervillain kind of plan thing that you're not quite clear of in the in the the supervillain headquarters. It's all primed to explode. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like. But uh, Skyfall, uh, you know, Skyfall is comic book in many ways, but still, it did a. You look at what they established in Skyfall. Spoiler alerts. You know, we've got a new M played by. Yep. Uh, Ray Fiennes finds fantastic job. I think it's Naomi Harris. I think yeah, the Monty Penny. Yeah, Monty Penny. I think it's. Uh, let me look that up. Uh, see if that's Naomi Harris. She plays anyhow. But the way she's introduced is fantastic. <clears throat> and uh, I think that uh, uh, yeah, that's Naomi Harris is the new Monty Penny. She's amazing. The way her character's brought in, you know, you, you realize she's much more than a girl who just sits at a desk, and it's a bit of a twist and surprise. Anyhow, uh, you know the way they're they re, the way they've revamped the series and the way they're primed to go forward with the next movie, which is Spectre. I'm excited about. Right on, man. You're so, a better man now. When you're watching all those, like, are you doing other stuff? Or are you giving the movie your full attention? Full attention. Man. I will pause it, pause it to Wikipedia stuff. But whenever I sit down to watch a movie. I never multitask. Yeah. No, uh, no. Like they, they, it, to, to consume media with Andrew is to cease other functions. I mean, that's Not eating like it is. It is eyes on the screen. I mean, that's I, I agree. That is how you should do it. It's like otherwise, you know, uh, you know, what, why are you bothering? Right. But uh, I, but, I but that's a Herculean amount of full attention to give to Bond movies. I, well, I remember when I was a kid and I'd read, let's say, Roger Ebert reviews. And I love Roger Ebert reviews. They were my, my favorite. And every now and then I noticed that there might have been a movie I loved that he didn't like. Mm-hmm. And when I'd read through his review, I would notice there was one or two sort of factual discrepancies that he missed, that he got something wrong. And, and, and I've seen that a lot in reviews where things I think are pretty strong. And you read the reviews and they'll get a name wrong or something like this. And you're like, oh, they weren't paying attention. And maybe because the movie lost them. And it's not to say the review was wrong, but you go, you know – Sometimes something gets lost. You lose a critical detail, and 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 I'm a guy. I'm an apologist for movies. I think that many times people are like, oh, this is a plot hole, or this is. I'm like, ah, maybe you always have to have a certain amount of economy and stuff. And and then there's some movies that are just intentionally poor, just done. That's why I can be extremely forgiving in some hands, some cases, and other cases I'm very very critical. But anyhow, I try to just watch complete attention so I can be you know get it there, all through. There are some fields that I feel like journalistically you should be rotated out of in like three months shifts and i think movie critic like is a lot of movie critics are are very very good writers some are hacks but the best are exceptional writers and i would love to see three months on three months of them writing movie features because i do think that like you get ground down by watching every single movie that comes out like it just affects your enjoyment for stuff well, especially yeah, I would yeah. imagine like if you're somebody who wants to be a screenwriter, you know, like even, uh, you know, Roger Ebert wrote a couple of movies, right? He did Valley of the Dolls. Valley of the Dolls. Yeah. 
uh, and uh, uh, like when you're trying to play the game and you see like the horse crap that makes it through the process and 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 ends up popular on the other side when you watch. You know, uh, uh, Transformers. Uh, uh, well, but it's like it's like whatever. In, in many times, it's like for, in, in defense of some critics, it's not necessarily the three-hour plot challenge robots punching each other movie that may be good to a popcorn audience. It's the fact that you also watched three other super formulaic rom-coms and a kids movie that was not meant for your demographic before that that week. You know, and then you have to sit for three hours uh, to watch Transformers that I think it's just hard. It's just it's, uh, you know, a real uh, it's it's a challenge and the best get over it and the best are able to keep themselves sharp. You know, there is there is a whole science to how you play reviewers and like when you give them the movies to watch and the circumstances you do them, because, you know, if. If they're gonna watch your if they're gonna watch your Transformers screener at the end of the day after watching eight other films, it, it's gonna be harsh. Mm-hmm. If you're yeah. the first thing they're gonna watch, you know, in a great environment and they're feel good and they're rested and all that, then they're gonna be like, ah, this is so so much fun, you know. And then, and that's with the legitimate ones, you know. Then there's the whole junket thing. But anyhow, yeah, where you can just have somebody shake Russell Crowe's hand and they'll just give it a good review. Uh, hey, my pick is something that uh, has crippled Brian over the last uh, two weeks, uh, uh, Hearthstone. I don't like video games all that much, but uh, I started playing the Blizzard iOS game, Hearthstone. Uh, it's a card game. It's kind of like a, a modified version of Magic the Gathering. Uh, but it, if you really want to understand why Blizzard is a successful company, just give yourself a little bit of of hearthstone in your life like it, it just it's so many rounded edges up to and including how you get into it like you play the first round of games without without logging in like you just open up the program you need to be connected to the internet and boom you are you are on you play the first couple games you understand the mechanics uh you know there's there's uh the the music and the sound is not terrible you know which it often is in video games uh so yeah it's really good it's really fun me and ashley are are kind of mildly obsessed with it and uh that's what it is dude so glad no no don't do it don't do it (laughs) i'm so happy to have you among us here's the funny part to me is that uh, and by the way the nice thing is is you really can you know there's free to play and then there's you know like bs you know tricky into paying money to get your rutabagas to grow faster uh but but this really is you know free to play you know uh, john tilton in general, doesn't spend money on anything, and and uh, you, you literally you, you don't ever have to spend money for this, and it's really good. Um, uh, I, I I will say I could tell it's a good game because I hate how bad I am at it. I am awful. I ended the 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 January season at the lowest possible rank I could achieve. Like I could go no lower, uh, and yet I keep on playing because I just and even when you lose, you feel like oh well n- now I've learned something. I've learned not to let somebody bull- maybe I should make a deck with more taunts. Exactly right. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. It's fun. It's a little fun thing. Hey, it's so fun that I was playing it on the airplane and I 
was really like uh, dialed into it. And I'm like, oh, I got to beat this dude because I never beat anybody. And I'm about to beat this dude. And uh, the plane's about to take off. I got to beat this dude. And I beat it. And I was so happy. And I put my iPad in the in the seat back pocket. And I went to sleep. And I woke up. And I left the plane. And I left my iPad. And the only reason why I had my iPad out, which I never have, I always just use my uh, my phone, is because of Hearthstone. Oh, man. So, yeah. Do it. Uh, don't. Uh, here. My unpick is Hearthstone. I've unpicked Hearthstone. It's a, it's a disease. <laughs> And will kill you and make you spend money. <laughs> That's amazing. Don't do it. Don't do it, kids. I said do it. Join us. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been weird. 